Welcome to the Rooted Legacy Podcast. At Laurel Branch Church of God, we are devoted to developing an environment of engagement with Yahweh and hosting His presence attentively. Our hope is to help others become rooted in beloved identity and further the kingdom of God on this earth. From Pastor Seth Klein and the congregation at Laurel Branch Church of God, we hope this message brightens your day and changes your life. We pray that God blesses you and all that you do. Thanks for listening. Uh, and I want to read a, a little bit from, from Scripture first. If you have your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 14. Uh, probably starting with verse 7. And then uh, maybe won't be here that, that too late this evening. We'll uh, get through this. And, but the Bible, Joshua 14, verse 7. Everybody have it? Uh, Exodus, Deuteronomy. It should be right after Deuteronomy. Uh, and 14. 14, chapter 14, starting with verse 7. It says, Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land, and I brought, and I brought him word again, and it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance, and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive. And he said, Those forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. As yet I am as strong this day as I was in that day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now. For war, both to go out and to come in. Verse 12 says, Now therefore give me this mountain, wherefore the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. Now, what I really want to touch on today is the phrase, give me my mountain. And, and it's really, it's a trick of the trade a lot of the times. I'm not saying that it's not, it, it's not a word that the Lord does not or will not give in the day that we're living in. What I'm saying is, is that many will stand behind a pulpit or on the edge of a stage and in order to try to get the people in whom they are performing for to respond to their performance, they will go to this line, which is a trick of the trade, in order to try to entice you, encourage you, excite you, and to get you to move forward in a response so that they themselves can feel successful as though they have accomplished something. Here's the thing about what we're experiencing in the church in the way that we're living in. Many people are going to an altar, but they're not finding Jesus upon those altars. Many people are flooding an altar, but they're not finding an encounter of the Holy Ghost upon those altars. See, you can go to any rock concert and get the same feeling up and down your back and up your neck and make the hair stand up on your arms that you can when somebody cheers you on to make you respond to an altar call. And this is one of the tricks of the trades. This is one of the this is one of the uh, uh, this is one of those lines. This is one of those one liners that they'll get. They'll they'll elevate their voice. They'll kick. They'll stomp. They'll even jump off the stage and say, "Give me my mountain" to make people respond. To make people feel as though they are being called or they're being ushered in to respond or move in that community for God. And it's not necessarily so because look, it, we are experiencing a day of the performer when everything is performance driven. 
when we look at the numbers, it's almost like we can, we can, we can put our, our engine on a diagnostics machine and we can see how much horsepower and how much torque we're getting out of it, how much fuel efficiency we're getting out of it. And we're doing the same thing with the machine called the church. We're putting it on diagnostics. We know how to, we know how to tune it. We know how to perf- make it perform. You can do things. Now, I had, uh, I had a truck and I had this, this uh, programmer. I could put it on fuel economy, tow fuel economy, or performance. And performance gave you a tad bit more horsepower according to the advertisement. Sucked me right in. I don't know if it did or not. Gave me better gas mileage. Sucked me right in. You know what? You got to get your foot off the accelerator. It doesn't matter what you do to it. I got 10 miles a gallon in that truck from the day I bought it to the day I let it go. It was 10 miles a gallon. Forwards, backwards, 55, 85. Didn't matter what size tires, it's 10 miles a gallon. But you know what? I spent a lot of money trying to get that joker up to about 10 and a half. Run high tests all the time. Everybody asked me, said, why you run high tests in there? And I made the excuses. I get better gas mileage. Burns cleaner. Gives me more power. To this day, I cannot tell you whether it did or whether it didn't. But I, you know, I was convinced that it did. And that's what we do, is we are looking at the church as a machine, and we try to look at and see how we can get the most performance out of the machine. And it's based upon our performance upon the stage. How can I entertain you to get more people in, in uh, how can I entertain you to get more people involved? Just as I said Sunday, we're, we're looking, the church looks at the necessity of the community and they try to develop a program. They try to develop a protest when they see something going on in the community in which they don't necessarily agree with. Because we have to go down in history and we have to go down to make, make, make ourselves think that we were predominant that we were successful that we were impactful in the community here I want to give you a nugget here's something that the Lord has begun to share with me many want to be many want to be community organizers they want to pursue leadership positions in the community but there are very few that pursue leadership positions in the kingdom because the kingdom is not as as glamorous to the community organizer a community organizer, organizer means that I am the one that has my name over the marquee. I'm the one that everybody's talking about. When you're in leadership within the kingdom of Yeshua, he's the one everybody talks about. He's the one that you represent. He's the one that you go out and you not necessarily perform for, but you produce for. There's a big difference there. You, when you produce something, you, you generate it. When you perform something, you manipulate it in a term. Huh? The, the, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. A, a, good, a good analogy. Your church is not growing unless, you have, unless you're already having to build a new building to fit all the people that are now coming to your church. The modernized church doesn't understand growth in terms of spiritual growth. And they don't understand growth in the terms of kingdom growth. All they understand growth is in the, is in the term of franchise growth. How can I arrange my sanctuary? How can I arrange my parking lot? How can, how can I do this and how can I do that to make people more enticed and more intrigued to come and participate in my church? How many things do I have to offer them to make my church more uh, acceptable and more approachable than the next church down the road? See, listen, I mean, it, it's, this is, I, I really believe this is a plague we see a necessity. Huh? Look, I don't want to put anybody on a spot, but, and I hope that I don't come across this, but if I moved my dad and Emory to this side of the church and divide the church from the eldest to the youngest, then I would have to pick, I would have to uh, 
create and develop programs in order to keep them satisfied and then to keep the younger generation satisfied. And then I have to develop children's church to keep the younger generation that has children satisfied. The older generation that brings grandchildren satisfied. I have to keep the younger generation below the parents, which is the children of the children's church satisfied. I got to have I got to have this on Sunday morning and that on Sunday morning. And we have to change the Wednesday night Bible study to something that is cool and hip in order to get people to think that they're in something different and something new. And it's something more enticing and it's something fresh. And we will, we will get up and say, give me my mountain. Joshua was 85 or uh, Caleb was 85 when he said, give me my mountain. You're never too old. Give me my man. And I'll, I'll, begin to, I'll begin to try to entice the older generation. It's all about performance and manipulation. And, and listen, you have been here long enough to know that this is the way I see things. I believe I see them accurately and correctly. I'm not worried about growing my church in number. As you heard me say Sunday, if I want to grow my church, then I need to pray for the glory of God to come and be settled within the church. Because Paul said that the glory of God, of God is the inheritance that he receives in the saints. So if I bring the glory of God through my devotion and through my intimacy into this house, it by consequence will begin to draw his saints into this house. If I want to grow my church biblically, then I have to, I have to then draw... His, his glory into this sanctuary and His glory as a consequence draws His saints into this sanctuary. That's biblical church growth. Things begin to happen in the glory of God that you and I can't explain, that you and I can't fathom, that you and I can't even expect because He will then begin to, uh, he will begin to overcome all of our expectations. Ephesians 3 and 20, Now unto Him who was exceedingly abundantly able to do above all that we ask and think according to the power that is in us. What is the power in us? It is the glory. What is the hope of glory? It is Christ in us. So listen, you've got to understand that from the, the saint to the sanctuary, if it wants to be potent in the community, has got to be filled with the glory of Yahweh. Period. Forget all of this statistical, systematic stuff. Yeah, that works to grow and build churches and congregations and to build social clubs because everybody is excited to feel as they belong to some sort of clique. That's why it works. But I'm going to tell you something. There's something dangerous about somebody that will try to lead you by way of give me my mountain. Because they're not always sincere. And they're not always necessarily wanting you to follow them because they believe that they can help you. They believe that you can help them obtain their dreams and obtain their goals. And that's why it's very dangerous that we need to be very sensitive to the spirits to know whether or not they are of God. Listen, I'm not trying to lead you anywhere that will promote me. If I wanted to promote me, I would make it mandatory that everyone in this room share our messages on Facebook. That everyone talked about me. That everyone went out and talked about my sermons. That everyone went out and talked about my gifting. That everybody went out and talked about my anointing. And I was in this trap once upon a time to where I would sit and I would try to make everyone feel as though they, they belonged and that they were... They were in charge and that they had stock in this thing. And I used to use the illustration that the pastor cannot reach everybody within the community. But if we will all join hands with the pastor, then we can reach further into the community. And I used to tell them, when you go into the community, and I wasn't even the pastor. I would tell them, when you go visit someone, you make sure to tell them that pastor sends his condolences. You be sure to tell them the pastor's been praying for them. You be sure to tell them that pastor has mentioned them. Well, whether or not he had. It was all about trying to grow the church numerically. Everybody look. I've been in it. I knew and I know how it works. Oh we need. There, there's, there's this need in the community. And I see. I look at the. the what's the word? The demograph. Help me out, somebody smarter than me. I wasn't looking at you, Jason. I was looking at Lisa. <laughs> we look at, I think it's the demograph. If not, excuse me, forgive me. 
Somebody correct me later. But we look at the demograph. We look at the, uh, the, the, the consensus within the community. What is the necessity within the... What is the majority of the community need? Or what is the majority of my congregants? What, is, what are they needful? Where I look and I then begin to develop. This is 101. This is 102. This is 103. In order to try to get everybody moving through... To make you feel as though you belong and that you're successful and that you're advancing right on up. But yet that is a manipulation. You are only a ploy to the greater plan of my purpose. My purpose, not God's purpose. You are a ploy to the plan. You are a pawn to the greater chess game of things. You are expendable, even though in my manipulation I will begin to make you feel as though you are important and that you are vital and that you belong and that you, you, everything, you're, I'll make you feel that you matter. But what's one of the things I say here on a frequent basis? I'm sorry, but you don't matter here. Hmm? Sorry? Not sorry? You don't matter here? I can say that without flinching or batting an eye because I can... I can humbly and, and even confidently say that I don't matter here. I do not matter here. I assure you that if I had not answered the call to come here, and I really did not want to. <laughs> you know? I mean, it, it, it just really wasn't my cup of tea. I mean, really, I'm on the phone with the state overseer, and I'm like, hey, man, you know, I, you know I, I really don't know. Do you think they'll, they'll be okay with me? you think they'll accept me? I'd never worn a suit before to preach. Never. To do a funeral, I had, and a wedding, I had, but to preach, I've never, I had never worn a suit. I wore a suit, same one, I only had one, so I wore it every weekend. For like maybe three or four weekends, I don't know, but anyway. <laughs> and, and you know, you can't hide this for very long. You just can't hide this. You know, it's just like you, 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 you take somebody, you, ta- you take them out of the holler, you know, they start talking, you know, they came from the holler, you just can't hide it. I brought Brandy out of the holler. She didn't even live in the holler, but she sounded like she lived from a holler. I mean, eh, I better not go there. But I'm going to. <laughs> we were dating and uh, something, I don't know, she's a germaphobe, no joke. And I'm not. <laughs> I, as far in on the germaphobe spectrum as she is, I'm on the other end of just couldn't give a hoot. You know what I'm saying? I, was, uh, I eat with dirty hands. If I got grease and oil running down my ass, you know, flavors the chicken every now and then. So I asked her if she wanted me to do something, and she said, no, my hands are clean, urinate. I said, wait a minute, urinate's what you do when you go to the bathroom. Then you wash your hands, okay? So anyway... You know, I'm, she, she's more civilized now than what she was when I found her. <laughs> oh, God, somebody stop me. I'm getting in a lot of trouble. Come on. Yeah, thanks, Frank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Y'all come by and check on me. Look for fresh dirt around the house. Probably a shallow grave somewhere. But anyway, I've been in the thing. I've been in this system. I know how it works. I had a conversation with somebody one time, and they said, you know what? We know how to grow a church. There is, whether you believe it or not, a scientific way how to grow a church. Scientific, strategic, whatever you want to call it. Do you know that they say that within... Uh, okay, in our scenario, you have to pass that really big, I think it's a poplar tree, on the left of the road coming up because it obstructs your view, but all of a sudden you see our church. It's not really a fabulous or a fancy church. It is, however, uh, a home to us. I feel that it is. But here, here's where we don't make it in the Grow Your Church manual. I don't know. It's probably like in chapter 3, verse paragraph four article whatever because i know there's there's grow your church uh handbooks and manuals out there we do not have lines on our parking lot that's a big no-no if you want to grow your church it really is 
I was talking to a friend of mine. They had a new pastor come in, much like myself. And, uh, and, 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 and y'all, y'all can attest to this. You know, I'm, I made hints that we were going to move this church down next to the two-lane road where it was more uh, accessible for people. And we were going to, uh, you know, get a modernized, fresh look, a new metal building quite possibly. You know, those are pretty cool. And uh, so I began to just, you know, change things. Well, I'm talking to this man. He's like, yeah, yeah, new pastor's coming in, and he's wanting to do all kinds of updates. And, you know, he sat us down and really told us why he wanted to do it and why it was necessary. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, you know, that's typical, that's typical, that's typical. Yeah, that's typical. And, you know, he wants to stay. He's going to be there for a while. He, 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 this guy didn't even last a year, and he moved on to bigger and better things. Really? So why do you want to do all this? Because I have to build a church. I have to increase my numbers. I have to increase my attendance. I have to increase my tithing so that I can get a pat on the back by somebody that's in a position higher than me. You know what I'm doing? I'm pursuing a voice that comes from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's, it's tough sometimes. It's really tough sometimes. Not to receive accolades. That's the nature of who we are. We like to be told that we've done a good job. We like to be told that we're that that you know we're 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 somebody's proud of us. I'll say it that way, or that somebody has taken notice to what we've done. Everybody wants accolades, but it's when you pursue acknowledgement and accolades is when it becomes pride. Okay, so I don't really necessarily. It's tough for me at times. I just have to be I just have to be truthful and honest. It is tough at times, but I understand that I'm hearing a voice. Not 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 from anyone in positions above me within the church, but I'm hearing a voice that is the head of all authority within the kingdom that is saying, You're doing exactly what I've asked you to do. So therefore my reward is being put up in heaven. Because I believe that it's obedience. Jason touched on obedience a couple Sundays ago. Obedience. To hear and to obey the word of the Lord. Caleb heard and obeyed the word of the Lord. He knew that this was something that the Lord had promised him and was going to give him. I assure you that I have heard the word of the Lord come to me and say that there's going to be promises. I've, I've shared those promises with all of you on Sunday days and, and on Wednesday nights, the Wednesday in and Wednesday out, Sunday in and Sunday out. I'm telling you, I believe that the Lord is going to do something magnificent here. And I'm praying for those things to come to pass in fruition, and I believe that they will. But here's, here's, here's what is necessary. We've got to understand that we've got to allow it to come to pass on His terms and His times and not our schedule. And that's where we mess up 99.9% of the times is because we hear a word from the Lord and we demand it tomorrow at the break of day. This man waited 45 years on his mountain. Now let me read some stuff here. I'm going to read again. Um, verse 10, it says, And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive and... As he said these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old, yet I am as strong this day as I was in that day that Moses sent me as my strength was then. Even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. That's very, very, very exciting to hear someone. And I've, I've, I've heard this. I've been under uh, the voice of uh, ministers, manipulators, whichever, one, whichever category they fell into. Uh, when they get up and say, give me my mountain. We're going to take this mountain. We're going to take this mountain. And it's, 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 a, it's a lovely thing to say in West Virginia, being it the mountain state. But we will declare something today. And then we will demand it tomorrow. 
Let me say that again. We will declare something today and demand it tomorrow. And it does not quite work out that way. And that is why so many people both get themselves in a lot of trouble and come to their demise. And that's why a lot of people on the other end of the spectrum lose hope and lose faith and completely lose sight of the promise that was given to them. Now, I want to read a few things to you. This is what the Lord began to share with me. Out of the blue, in the middle of nowhere, on the same mountain that he gave me uh, the talk about the the walnut and the rivers that come out of the mountain, the forest that protruded out of the mountains as a consequence of seeds falling and dying. I just wasn't to the top of the mountain yet, and boy, I'm telling you, we walked from the bottom to the top. I'm not built for that. It was tough. I had about 65 more yards to go, and I'm looking at the top through the tree line, and I'm thinking, man, it'd be nice to have a four-wheeler. I got one, didn't bring it, I don't, but I was going to tough it out, I wasn't going to let an 11-year-old twerp beat me. This is what the Lord spoke to me, October the 13th of 2018, on a squirrel hunt with Rylan. He said to me, many dare claim they're infused with the faith of Caleb, they proclaim high expectations as they decree arrogantly and foolishly, give me my mountain. The problem is that the mountain was promised to the Israelites and Caleb, however, he knew that. He believed in what Yahweh had said, not what he himself desired of him. Today, unfortunately, and all too often, we claim something that was never ours to begin with. There is a difference between faith and demanding. And again, I'll go back to what I said earlier. This, this, is, a, this is a trick of the trade. This is how we manipulate scripture and manipulate something that someone said in the Bible in order to create a fan base. Anybody aware that that happens within the church? We develop fanboys and fangirls in, 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 in the church because we know how to work an audience. I say we because I'm usually uh, included into that category, being a preacher, pastor, an evangelist or whatever it is, there, there is a side to us, there is a side to the ministry that is only there to entertain. If we do a biblical search and a biblical study, we see that there's, there's a co-priesthood, a co, C-O, priesthood, not a co-priesthood. Sometimes, you, you know, I, ain't, I still sound like I'm in the holler too sometimes, but we all talk the same like that. Now, Brian Kennedy sometimes, it's a little different story. But we love him. He's our youngin'. There was a co priesthood, co priesthood. There were, and, and, and in some cases, it was termed a dueling priesthood. And so, one priesthood in comparison to the other, there was one sincere and there was one that was uh, spectacular. There was one that was seeking the face of God, and there was another that was seeking new and fresh uh, things, enticing things, uh, new ways of doing things, new ways of being. Er Their goal was to remain relevant as it pertains to uh, society or societal uh, norm I, i've heard this my whole growing up in the ministry is that we've got to remain relevant to the culture i don't believe that the only culture culture that i need to remain relevant to is the culture of the kingdom and that's the realm of heaven because jesus does not remain relevant to the culture. Jesus is timeless. The gospel is timeless. The heart of God is timeless. And if we are preaching the gospel. For the sake of the name of Jesus. With the heart of God. It is timeless. And I do not have to. Nor do I need to. Remain relevant to society. And the culture of the society. 
I must remain relevant to the culture of the kingdom, and that is heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let it come through me. Let, let the presence of Jesus come through me and wreck the culture. That's really what I believe that we need to understand. Really believe that. I'd, I'd, okay. How can we remain relevant to a culture when we live in a culture that is, that, that is completely made up of so many facets of culture? I mean, think about it. Do you think that I could go preach in, uh, you know, an uppity, I don't want to say it that way, but that's the only way I know how to say it. I'm a holler boy. <laughs> an uppity uh, white middle class church. If I had about a $3,000 a suit and a haircut and a shave and a Rolex watch and some, and some really fancy shoes that looked like they were about 15 inches too long for my foot, you know, and I had a, a Cadillac Escalade, and I had somebody to drive my Cadillac Escalade because every, every predominant man of God needs an armor bearer. You'll drive my Cadillac, won't you? I'll tell you, you buy it, and I'll let you drive it. I mean, you know. It's the kingdoms. Oh, yeah, they'll finance it like Jason said for 10 years. And I'll pay $120,000 for a $40,000 meal. I'm sure I can't find a Cadillac Escalade for $40,000. I guess a 2002 model, maybe. And then I, I need somebody that needs to carry a towel and wipe the sweat off my brow while I'm preaching real good, you know? Roll with an entourage. These, these are, this is how men of God in the 21st century. But you know what? Jesus strolled up on a donkey. <laughs> and you know what? He did not look any different than the same guys that he was ministering to. They wore the same attire and had the same kind of flip-flops on. And their toes were hanging out the ends of them. And they, you know, so why do I have to wear all of the garb in order to make you think that I am a prestigious and I am an outstanding predominant man of God because I have a Rolex on? Nowadays they got a Rolex on one hand and an Apple watch on the other and I took the clock down. No, I do not. Just different. I'm not trying to fit that mold, and that's what they're they they created a mold, and then they tried to fit that mold. Listen, I say this all the time. John the Baptist, according to Jesus, there was none born of women that were greater than John the Baptist. He said, "Who's become out here to see a prophet?" But I tell you, more than a prophet. This guy's more than a prophet and greater than any woman, any man that was ever born a woman. And I guarantee you, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that John the Baptist would not be permitted to preach behind 99.9% .9 of the pulpits in the United States. And I guarantee you beyond a shadow of a doubt that the same percentage would not allow Jesus to preach either. Because, see, listen, when you start preaching, if you want anything to do with me, you've got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. And then people by the scads left him. He turns around and has to look at the disciples and say, are you going to leave me too? I know these things are hard, he said many times. The, the, nobody, nobody perceived or grasped what it was he was saying. Because there's, there's, there's something demanding about the Word of God. And it demands you to go deeper into the essence of who He is. How can I prove this? Drink my blood and eat my flesh. That's the essence of who He was. And He calls you to go deeper into that. Listen. And I've said this about Deidre. I could take Deidre to any place. You name it. We'll take him to set him down. And I could probably set her down in front of the pastor of many predominant churches within a 50 mile radius. And the amount of revelation that she has would blow them out of the water. Hmm? 
I've had to worry about people falling asleep, but I've never had to worry about her falling asleep. And she, she, she obtains it. And she, and because, why? Why? For the, for, you know what? I'm gonna, and I do this a lot. I commend each and every one of you for being here because I know it's been tough for the last five years. And I look at that and I can say that because Jesus actually told his guys, man, I know, I think, I, I, I guarantee you, he, he, he was grateful and he was appreciative of the guys that stayed with him like they did, that they followed him like they did because there was times that what he was saying and what was coming out of his mouth made absolutely no sense to them. But they said, where else can we go? For we know that you have the, the, the words of eternal life. Because something in the words that he spoke had power to change them and the eternity around them. Something that, that when he spoke had the power that, that, that it, began to, it began to penetrate their hearts. And they would later begin to use what they heard of him and the words that he spoke to them. And they would begin to turn the earth and the world upside down. Why? Because, see, I understand, these, and I'm going to go back to a statistic that I learned. You only retain 20% of what I say. It's not your fault. But I believe in what the Lord gives me is so important. That's why, I'm not a, that's why I, I do not care to review and refresh over and over and over. Because I believe that it's very important. I believe that those are the words of life. And I believe that when we get a hold of what the Lord is speaking. And it's not that he's speaking it through me to you. He's speaking it into the existence of humanity. And into the reality of existence. Paul says numerous times that through the Spirit he has given us, uh, given us this mysterion that has been hidden from ages and generations before. But now he is, he is revealing it to the saints. He is showing us something that no one else was ever permitted to see. It's not that he changed anything or he decided differently in the future as he did in the past. No, it was all leading up to this one thing. The one thing from the time that he had to... Uh, he had to kick man or humanity out of the garden. Everything leading up to that, even Christ going to the cross, was to bring men back into the garden. Because Paul says that Christ, uh, that Christ reconciled humanity back to God. Or that God reconciled humanity back to himself through Christ, I should say. And then that we have received the gospel of reconciliation. Reconciliation is when two things that have been separated are reunited and come back together. God is wanting humanity and divinity to come back together as the same in one entity. Okay, okay. I, I went off on some rabbit trails right there, but I really want to get through this. Let's see, how much time do I got? Hmm. Got four more hours till midnight. Sure, we can stay awake till then. Anyway. <laughs> no, I'll kick you. Stick, stick your foot out there a little bit further and I'll step on it every now and then. Okay, let me go ahead and read some, let me go back. Many dare claim they're infused with the faith of Caleb. They proclaim high expectations as they decree arrogantly and foolishly. Give me my mountain. Foundation, we're laying it right here. The problem is that the mountain was promised to the Israelites and Caleb knew it. He believed in what Yahweh had said, not what he himself desired of him, Yahweh. Today, unfortunately, and all too often, we claim something that was never ours to begin with. There is a difference between faith and demanding. Today, God spoke to me. This was October the 13th, I'll remind you. Today, God spoke to me as I stared up the mountain onto the top while squirrel hunting with my son. He reminded me of a horrific and an unimaginable story I was taught in school. Most of you may under most of you may may remember this, the Donner Party. Anybody? Okay, so he we know those of the Donner Party were enthusiastic and excited. They were setting out for greener pastures and wide open spaces, which meant opportunity and success. However. Their compulsive decision-making and poorly sought-out direction proved disastrous to the party and their journey. 
They were ready for a new thing, a new way. They took shortcuts and faster routes with the vain promises of getting to their new land and new success and prosperity in a hurry. I told you that there is a co-ministry. One is sincere, seeking the face of God. One is seeking spectacular, new, fresh, and relevant things. Keeping up with the Joneses. Keeping up and passing the church down the road. Well, the church down the road got a new sign, and we do too. We got to get one. If you haven't noticed, about every church that you go by now has one of those programmable flashing signs to where they can put whatever they want to on it. Uh, I guess flash drive it or download it and send it to that sign, and they can put all these little cool uh, things that, you know. Okay, let me, let me, when I, just because this is the only place I know. I don't even know. I, 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 think, I don't think it's really uh, that prevalent anymore. But when I was taking the, the MIP or the, the cams in, in Princeton, Princeton, you know, it was a pretty predominant little town. Uh, and you probably wouldn't think this. Maybe you would. I didn't at first. But we would go up and stay on Friday night and take the cams on Sunday, Saturday morning. And the first night we drove up, we just drove up and was going to get a room. We went to, and I kid you not, every hotel within, that, within the Princeton area. No vacancies. No vacancies. No vacancies. I finally asked, the, I said, what in the world is going on that all these people are coming into town? She said, the weekend. Because all of, those, the, all of those interstates and all of those roads intersect right there in Princeton. And that is a destination for travelers because they're, they're reserving their hotel rooms weeks in advance because they know that if they don't, there'll not be a place to stay. And they'll have to drive a couple more hours on down the road. Well, I learned my lesson and from there on out, I called a month in advance and I reserved my room. And legitly, every weekend that we stayed in Princeton, there was no vacancies. I got to go back to the first night we stayed. We, we found a vacancy, but Lord God, have mercy, Jesus. I know why. <laughs> yeah. Newly renovated and remodeled. Bull crap. You just threw some paint on the... the <laughs> yeah, it, it was bad. That's when you sleep with your clothes on and trash bags over your hands and your face with a little hole cut in it so you can breathe and not suffocate. It was that bad. I'm not going to tell you the name of it. If you want to know later, come ask me. I'll gladly tell you. But, but right there, just if if it, my mother, I know most of you are familiar with that little section of Princeton. There's the Cracker Barrel, and there's the Outback, and there's the Rhines, all the good places to eat. There's a Bojangles over there, and there's uh, a Wendy's. All of those good places eat McDonald's. Um, What's that one? I think there might be a Sheets right there. There's a, there's a pretty cool gas station there that you can go get stuff in. And all of these signs stick way up in the air and they're, they're, they're lit up with lights. But there's a building over on the right-hand side of the If you're coming this way, there's, you know. And it, it was the strip club. <laughs> and their light... Uh, I was going to say... Never mind. I'm not going there. I was about to. It was way up in the air. Why? Because they wanted everybody to see it. From, from You know what? I don't know. I just thought of something. Maybe it was so busy on the weekends. Everybody was coming into that strip club. And they had to find a place to say, I don't know. They may have been bringing in workers or something. But I doubt it. Surely there wasn't that many. But anyway, my, 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 what I'm trying to explain is flashing lights, advertisement, Enticement. Mm-hmm. 
And that's why every church now needs a highly elevated, up in the air, flashing light with really bright LEDs so that they can advertise to every passerby what's going on inside that house. But let me tell you something. I don't need that light. I don't need that sign if the glory of God is present within this sanctuary and He is illuminating what comes in and what leaves this sanctuary, including the heart of you and myself. I don't need... Listen, that would be pretty cool but I don't know how much wire it would take for me to run it to the mouth of the holler so that everybody could see it. It would do us absolutely no good up here. Could do that. But then we're just going to have to cut trees on every side of the mountain so the sun will shine. Listen, I've seen snow in that little intersection down there when there was snow nowhere else for months. There's no sunshine down there. Hey, you just volunteered. I can make it happen. <laughs> Forget all I said. We're going the other way, guys. We're going. But that's the whole thing about advertisement, flashing lights. Why do you think when you can, why do you go by the gas station, which everybody knows sells gas, but they put their signs out next to the road that says beer. Because maybe you need to go buy beer and then find out that, oh, I only got a quarter tank of gas. I better get a quarter tank of gas first. They want you to come in and buy the beer. Why? Because the beer's more enticing. Gas is a necessity. You can't make it from point A to point B without gas. You go into some of these college towns and every gas station you pull into has... the, it, it, the Oh, my gosh. They sell more alcohol than, I don't even know if they know what alcohol they sell. It, there's enough alcohol in there that you could probably uh, burn the entire city down. Why? And that's what we advertise. So now what I'm telling you is we're reverting to the marketing system or the marketing schemes of, of, of secularism. And the world, and we're trying to use those things that work in the world and help at, at that, that actually are effective in enticing the flesh. We're basically trying to entice your flesh to come in and fill my pew so that I could feel accomplished by making more people and my making more people attend my church by making my numbers multiply on my church ledger. I guarantee you there's a safe percentage, I'm going to say 90% of pastors do not care whether you get a hold of the Spirit of God and the power of God or whether you even believe the, the gospel as long as you, you, you attend their church on a frequent basis and write them a tie check every couple of weeks out of your payday. They don't care. Because that's become the norm of church, church growth. Get them in there. Why, why, do we, why do we study psychology? <laughs> why would I study psychology when there's a book that has been written for me, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me that tells me how to conquer the world and how to overcome your anxieties and how to overcome. Because there's a man in that book named Jesus that says, in the world you'll have tribulation but stand in good cheer because he himself had already overcome the world. Why do I need to study psychology in order to understand how your mind works so that I could then meet your necessities, your mental necessities? How do, how, why do I need to study how your mind works so that I can, I can approach you uh, uh, adequately when I sit down and talk to you? How, why do I need to study your mind and how you think so I can then begin to place you strategically within leadership because you'll be a good fit here, but you, won't, you don't really have what it takes to, to, to work over here? I can, you know what, I, I'm just going to tell you, I, I didn't have what it took to preach. I didn't. Dad can attest to this, Brandy can attest to this. There was a lady who commented on one of Brandy's posts the other day uh, when there was the video of me when I got to pray in the uh, Capitol building. Uh, yeah, I was nervous. Some, I, I was probably scared to death, probably one of the most frightened moments of my life, uh, you know, because I, I, that was out of my comfort zone, and I did, really didn't 
really didn't un know whether or not, but I did later that God really sent me there to say what I said because immediately I, I, had, I had assurance. The Lord gave me assurance. But yet, this lady commented on it and said, oh, how far he's come when not too many years ago uh, when he was asked to read his poetry in the church, he couldn't because I was crying profusely. Ugly crying, snobbing, snotting. It was bad, ugly. I would be in the back of the church and they could ask me to come to the front of the church and as soon as my butt came this far off the pew, I was bawling. Scared to death. I didn't have what it took. I, 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 when I took the test... I, did, I, I didn't have all the things that was required to be a pastor. I didn't have, I didn't have the personality. I didn't have the, uh, I didn't have the pursuit and the endeavor in me. I, wasn't, I didn't have what it takes to be a successful, driven person to make a church grow. I didn't have that. And on top of that, that doesn't matter. I didn't have the ability to articulate or speak at all. I had the ability to cry like a baby and that was it. That's all. He required me to be obedient to his word. Preach. So was that encouragement to you? I hope that it is because I know some of you probably say, I don't have what it takes. Where you're looking at a man that did not have what it took. I deal, still do not have what it takes, but I have everything that is, that is needful and his name is Jesus. And if I, I don't do this for you. I promise, listen, I don't do this for any of you and I don't want you to think that I love you any less. I do this because I love him and he first loved me. If that man was the only one that showed up, I would still, he, we would probably get into a, a debate. No, not a debate, debate. He just can't hear very good, and I would think he was questioning me, but he's just trying to get, to, uh, to, he couldn't hear what I was saying. But anyway. But if it was just that man, I would, I, would, I would do the same thing. If it was just Jason or Deidre that came, I would still preach with the same fervency that I do if this sanctuary was full. It doesn't matter to me. The other day I had three extensive conversations about the love of Christ and about the Holy Spirit and things. And, and th three extensive conversations. I walked out of one into another. Not because I was looking for it. An audience of one. But the true essence of the audience of one is that I come in here and I preach for Jesus because I know that He's looking down upon me and that the Father is looking down upon me and they're discussing me and the Father is looking at the Son and saying, Man, He reminds me of you. <laughs> that's what we want. And that's what I want for you. I want, I want you to understand that you're beloved and you're the son or you're the daughter of Yahweh and that he's looking down and every time you do something that is in the image or the likeness of Jesus, he, he elbows Yeshua and says, oh, there's another one. You just, you watch that one. Just watch. Just watch. Why? Because you don't have to have an audience. He's watching you. He's watching you because he knows that his that 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 he knows that there are some, and I believe that those some include you, are listening to the Word of God and you're hearing the voice of God. Not just by what I say to you, but I believe that what I say to you is enticing you to go deeper into His essence. To go deeper into who He is. That He may go deeper into who you are. And that you too would converge, as I talked about Sunday, to emerge as one. One and the same. That's, that's really what... It, well, I mean, let me... Let me get back to some of this. Are we good? Is that okay? Can I get back to the Donner Party? The Donner Party is really weird, but hopefully something can good can come out of this. Those of the Donner Party were enthusiastic and excited. They were setting out for greener pastures and wide open spaces, which meant opportunity and success. However, their compulsive, notice I said compulsive, decision-making and and poorly sought out direction proved disastrous to the party in their journey. They were ready for a new thing, a new way. 
They took shortcuts and faster routes with the vain promises of getting there, getting to their new land and new success and prosperity in a hurry. They chose to take the Hastings Cutoff rather than staying on the California Trail that had been established and proven. It just wasn't good enough or fast enough for their liking. You see where I was going with this a while ago? That you may declare something today, but you demand it tomorrow, and that's just not necessarily how it works. It's what drives you that could end up destroying you. The Hastings cutoff was explored and mapped out as a political ploy with promotional agenda. Hastings devised the plan that his trail, this shortcut, would gain him popularity and notoriety and therefore launch him into the position of president of the Republic of California. Let me read that again. It's what drives you that could end up destroying you. Okay, the Hastings cutoff was explored and mapped out as a political ploy and promotional propaganda. Or a political ploy with promotional propaganda. Hastings devised the plan that his trail, this shortcut, would gain him popularity and notoriety and therefore launch him into the position of president of the Republic and California. Not everybody that blazes a trail blazes a trail to make it easier for you. They blaze it with the intent that you would promote their notoriety and popularity. Do you understand? what I'm saying quick and new ways aren't always as cut and dry as they seem they may promise great outcomes but the outcome might be a bit more than bargained for selfish motivated people would lead many down the wrong path and many will perish along the way remember these words because later I'll explain them motivation and momentum the Donner Party was being led by irresponsible men who could only see success and notoriety on the other side of the Sierra Nevada, a mountain that stood in the way between them and a new thing, a new place, a new way of life and doing things. The promise of establishment and success motivated them, and the new ways they traveled were themselves motivated by selfish intentions, namely the Hastings Cutoff. We've got to understand, we've got to, listen, discern the spirits. Why were these trails, why were these ways mapped out for other people to follow? Was it necessarily to benefit you or to benefit the ones that mapped out the trails? Hmm? Okay, you've got to understand something here too. The man that blazed the trail... Named it after himself. Why? Because everyone that went through the Hastings cutoff would always have to mention him every time they mentioned how they came. Through the way of Hastings. We cannot make it to the kingdom by the way of men, but by the way of Christ. Amen? I hope, you see, I hope you see the illustration that I'm trying to paint here today. Self-motivated self men are so ambitious and aspiring, they seldom make sound and thought-out decisions. In ministry, they ignorantly call this faith. It's not faith. It's mere foolishness. Let me say it again. Self-motivated men are so ambitious and aspiring, they seldom make sound and thought-out decisions in ministry. They ignorantly call this faith. I've seen men declare the most stupid, moronic things and attach faith at the end of it. When in fact it was not faith, but yet it was mere foolishness. It was flesh getting in the way of God and them trying to stamp faith on the end of their fleshly decisions to justify and make them sound more righteous. Okay, a lot of times faith doesn't make sense. I understand that. But we have to understand the source of where the faith is coming from that we pick and choose to follow. There's got to be evidences of that faith coming to pass and coming to fruition okay listen that's why I when I say things I, I, I write them down 
Because I, when I see God bring them to fruition and manifestation, I want to go back and I want to see specifically the date in which God gave that to me. Okay, but I also understand that it, there are times that when I need to pray that through, I need to continually to come to God saying, I know this is your promise. I know this is your provision. I know this is your purpose, but I need the grace to be faithful and I need the grace to be patient. I need the grace for for faith and patience that I may see this thing come through. Okay? And there's got to be there's got to be evidence. Listen, so many people will follow a guy that has great theatrics. But nothing that ever came out of his mouth ever comes to fruition. They're in and they're out. They're in and they're out. And they're great showmen. But they are poor, poor prophets. Poor prophets. They can package it. They can wrap it. And they can deliver it. And they, they, can, uh, they can give it to you in such an approach that it seems feasible. It seems probable. And it seems of God. When in fact it is not of God. It is the only God that they're listening to is themselves. Because they themselves have become the God of their motivation. We have to be careful. Our vision for the Rooted Legacy podcast is that we give as much free content to God's creation as possible. However, if you've been affected by God's word and would like to give, you can do so at Tithely Online or on the Tithely app. Just search Laurel Branch Church of God. Our address is Clear Fork, West Virginia, 24822. That is tithely.ly, T-I-T-H-E dot L-Y. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you and all that you do today.